Welcome back, everybody. It's good seeing you guys. It's a new week, another week, a new episode of Your Sports Fix with the Sports Pulse. I'm Devin Ashby, and I hope everyone's having an amazing week. I know I am. You know, it's getting closer and closer to spring, you know, even though it's still cold out, but shout out to that. And, um, you know, thoughts and prayers go out to the states of Texas and Louisiana in particular, and just the whole Midwest and and Southwest areas of the country dealing with those conditions following that ridiculous snowstorm they had earlier this week. So thoughts and prayers go out to them, of course. But, um, you know, with that being said, we got to get right into it. Now, this is an interesting week because most weeks probably aren't going to lead off with tennis. But whenever Serena Williams is involved in anything, I mean, you just can't help yourself, right? She's the greatest female tennis player we've probably ever seen in this generation. You know, 23-time champion. But the last couple of years, you know, um, been kind of dependent whatever you know she made her way the Australian Open is going on you know shout out to Australia for getting coronavirus under control unlike some countries um you know so they are fully operational again you know the Australian Open is going on Serena Williams made the final and it was history in the making essentially you know the, the teacher versus the student protege versus the new upcomer, but Naomi Osaka, who is probably, not probably, she is the future of the game of women's tennis, up against Serena, who's been the consummate professional year in and year out. It was very great, you know, um, Serena did everything she could, but ultimately Naomi is just continuing to get better and better at this thing, and she's just continuing, but, you know, being that this is Black History Month, to have two black women headline the Australian Open in that manner and to just to see where Serena's kind of her legendary status and what it has done for the game, regardless of the credit or lack thereof that she can receive from time to time, depending on who you're talking to, it was great to see and it was a great match. It was great for the sport. You know, um, you know, women's tennis always constantly comes under scrutiny for a lot of different reasons, a lot of stuff that's not fair to them sometimes, some stuff that may not be in their control. But, you know, and especially Serena, you know, people for, for the last 20-something years, since she was 15 years old, her and even her sister Venus at one point were two of the game's best and have been two of the game's best, you know, and... You know, even with her age, you know, father time or whoever catching up, they're still dominant. She's still dominant. I mean, there were people who are essentially talking about, oh, you know, could this be her final game? You know, is, is this the farewell tour? And it's like, bro, she literally just played in the Australian Open. Like, <laughs> let her be. Why do y'all, why, do, why are so many, some people just seem so hell-bent on getting Serena out? What is it about her that intimidates people and you know there have been a lot of like coded language in terms of the way people speak about her microaggressions things people say about her you know obviously when her and Osaka played a couple years ago and there was infamous things that were made of how she acted and 
you know, in, in, in defeat and, you know, uh, a lot of people were saying things and there were a lot of cartoons made and it just, it was all very ugly. And you see stuff like that with Serena a lot more than you see it with a lot of these other, especially with the men in particular, but with some of the other women too. And I think it does, is in part because she is a black tennis player and, you know, whatever, but she is one of the greatest ever in sports. She's up there with the LeBron Jameses and Michael Jordans and Tigers and Tom Brady's. She belongs up there with all of them, you know, and that being said, to see this passing of the torch to somebody like a Naomi Osaka, who is an African-American woman herself, you know, she's black and, and Japanese, of course, but, um, you know, to, to this passing of the torch is wonderful. And, and, and Osaka is just I wish it could have been the final versus the semifinals, but you know, <laughs> it was great to see the both of them. And it obviously Osaka winning it all is big for the sport. She's now a four time Grand Slam champion and, you know, quickly rising up the ranks. And, you know, shout out to her and hope she continues to be successful because I really think it's going to be great for the game to see people like her do big and do bigger and better things as she's continuing to do. So much props to Naomi Osaka and Serena Williams for continuing to be dominant even at this stage of her career. But, you know, with that being said, I guess we can pivot over to some other things. When you, We talk about coded language a lot in terms of the way people talk about black athletes, people talk about young athletes in general, and young athletes and stuff but recently this week there's been a lot of controversy and controversial opinions surrounding the Duke men's basketball program because of the decision of one Jalen Johnson who's projected to be a lottery pick in the NBA draft and in what is essentially a lost season for Duke a lost season for college basketball as a whole with this pandemic continuing to rage on in the, in the U.S. Jalen Johnson decided with something like three or four weeks left in the season to opt out of the remainder of the season because it's basically a lost season. Duke has been pitiful this year, as surprisingly most of the Blue Bloods have. And... So it doesn't look like they'll really win the ACC, let alone getting to the tournament. So he decided to opt out and just declare and prepare for the NBA draft. And as is the case with many of these decisions by young college athletes, there were a lot of mixed opinions about that. You know, a lot of people obviously agreed with him, sided with him, and think and most notably his coach, Coach K at Duke, have sided with him. But then there have also been a lot of people out there like Jim Beheim, Syracuse's head coach, who for some reason decided to give his opinion this week, who were not in agreement with what Johnson's doing. There were people who were accusing him of quitting. There are people who are accusing him of being a bad teammate. I mean, people making all type of just slanderous and <laughs> just all types of things against his name. And like I said, Jim Beheim is probably the most high profile of them. 
the Syracuse head coach, and he's been vocal about things like this before, so it shouldn't be surprising. But it didn't make it any less concerning or disturbing to see what he said. And he essentially was taking shots at Johnson's game and basically saying that Duke is better off without him and that they've won a couple of big games. And then obviously they won Saturday night against Virginia, which may, depending on who you look, may or may not strengthen his argument. But, you know, to essentially pick holes in his game saying they're better without him. But he did this a couple years ago with Georgetown with a, a, a player who transferred from Georgetown to Arizona and did the same thing. But it's a lot of stuff going around and, it, and it's kind of concerning when you think about it because essentially people are angry at this young man for doing what college coaches have been doing for generations, for decades, for years. College coaches always are allowed to, and everybody else involved with the sport, are always allowed to do what they believe is best for them and everybody can accept it as, oh, this is a good decision for them, whatever. Like when a college coach gets a job and then he gets a better job and can walk away and not give anybody phone calls or just kind of decide that whatever, like what Manny Ramirez, the Miami Hurricanes football coach did where he took one job and then a better one opened and he just kind of immediately, like not even a week later, decides he doesn't want the job he took and opts out and goes for the other one. You know, nobody questions that. Everybody kind of accepts it as gospel. It's like, oh, you know, he, it's a great opportunity, blase, blase. Whenever the players themselves do something of this magnitude, whether they decide to sit out a season, whether they decide to get up and transfer because of competition problems or just any number myriad of reasons there always seems to be a series of people questioning their attitude questioning if they really want to play talking about they're entitled and just really attacking and assassinating their character because they decided to make a decision that's best for them and not for all the people who are making money off of them and that is really disgusting when you think, and especially in a thing with a large, large, a lot of these athletes, particularly in football and basketball in particular, where there, a lot of these are young black athletes, it just seems really disturbing to me to keep seeing this scenario play out over and over again. Like, you know, Bayhive, obviously, like I said, this ain't the first time he said something. Like when the, when California, when the state of California effectively made it that players can now make money off of their own image and likeness, and then you got Bayhive coming out and basically saying that it was something he said that was just ridiculous about, oh, you know, guys like LeBron's friends and just mentioning craziness like that and then, you know, anytime the players can get a one-up, people always have backlash. And I just don't like that. I, I, I think it's disgusting. And I think people need to leave this young man alone because this is these are unpaid athletes playing in the midst of what is basically a lost season in the middle of a global pandemic that most people argue they probably shouldn't be playing at all. But, yeah, so you're unpaid 
You're basically an unpaid intern risking your health and your future in the middle of a global pandemic versus guys like Bayheim who have been getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for 20, 25, 30 years actually getting money. Like, you know, and they're like everybody that's making money off of them always got something to say when they decide to do something that benefits them. Everybody else can do stuff to benefit themselves, but not the players. And it, and it's getting tired to keep talking about this. But, you know, as long as these problems persist, whatever. And it's not to say that he may not have quit on his teammates. It's not to say that the optics don't look bad. There's a chance. You know, it's not to say that he's using an injury that he recently got as an excuse. You know, we don't know anything that went into the decision. The only people that know what went into it are Jalen Johnson himself and whoever's in his inner circle helping him advise him. Like, for people to make all these accusations and don't be knowing nothing and don't know anything about them, like, it's just ridiculous. Like, I mean, could he have... Do the optics look bad? Maybe. Quitting at this point in the season? Is it... it am, am, do, do I have all the answers? No. But that does not mean that I'm going to slander this young man for doing so. And I think everybody else needs to sit down and shut up and let guys like him make decisions that are best for themselves instead of projecting your insecurities and whatever else on these guys, you know? Let them do what's best for them since everybody else can do what's best for themselves. And that's all I got to say about that, you know? But, you know, elsewhere in the world of college ball we um we've got football in the spring and i'm not talking about spring ball i'm talking actual full pad on pad action you know some of the a lot of for people that didn't know there are a lot of fcs programs that canceled their fall seasons and decided to push it back to the spring and there were a number of conferences among them being the SWAC and some others that are um, getting their game their ball in in the spring one of the most notable teams that will be taking their season on the road here in the months of February March April and probably May as well Jackson State you know they are a historically black college down in Jackson Mississippi who on most other years probably would not strike the radar unless you are familiar with HBCU football. But this year is a big season for them because it is the debut of their new high-profile head football coach, Deion Primetime Sanders, who agreed to become the head coach. And it brought with it a ton of visibility you know, because Dion obviously, he's a Hall of Fame cornerback, arguably one of the greatest defensive backs ever to play the game. Considered the ultimate shutdown corner, you know. Um, and, you know, just the host other things. I mean, we know who Deion Sanders is at this point. So, you know, his, his hiring at Jackson State is part of this movement that to get HBCU sports in the limelight. You know, obviously... 
HBCU people, you know, myself being an HBCU alum of Morgan State University, we've been screaming to people from the rafters about the talent that we have here. And, you know, it speaks for itself, especially at Morgan. You know, we've had over our history a lot of Hall of Famers that have come through here. We're one of, you know, a lot of NFL Hall of Famers, and especially back in the day, in the days of segregation and when things were kind of still getting integrated in this country, a lot of black football players went to HBCUs because they just didn't have any other options. So this has always been something special in my heart, obviously, and in the hearts of so many others like me. And so Dion Tyre was big time news and it sent shockwaves through the HBCU universe because, you know, he's already been bringing visibility. You know, you're looking at a lot of the guys that he's bringing in his recruiting classes. You know, you're looking at some of the transfers that they're getting from big time schools, both in the area and other elsewhere. And then you're looking at the visibility. I mean, you know, they're having a game Sunday as I'm doing this podcast and Joe Buck, or not Joe Buck, Troy Aikman is at the game just watching, like on this, you know, Troy Aikman, like the other half of a Hall of Fame duo, like of announcers, you know, in the NFL. So you can get guys like him, and obviously you can get some evaluators over there because Dion knows people and his people know people. Like, this could be a huge deal. And we're already seeing in basketball, you see it with Chris Paul. Chris Paul is one of the most vocal people who didn't go to an HBCU but actually like does his part to try to get their name out there he's very vocal you know he recently on ESPN put out a documentary series on HBCU basketball um called why not us I believe is what it's called and you know it's profiling like you know he was following North Carolina Central in his hometown state you know Lavelle Moton and the things they're doing, they're one of the top basketball programs. You saw, obviously, Howard made ripples and waves earlier this past summer when they had the highest ever recruit in my core maker to sign there. And obviously that has not gone as smoothly because of a number of things outside of their control with injuries and COVID, the season being canceled. So, you know... Um, you see that it's a lot going on with the sport, a lot going on with 